with the infrastructure we have, if you don't have intelligence um, around it, you're going to get a lot of congestion and congestion leads to energy curtailment and um, energy dumping. And that's what you need to kind of utilize uh, AI to do. Veritone presents Adventures in AI, the podcast that dives into the many ways artificial intelligence is shaping our future for the better. I'm your host, Megan Minchev, and today we will be talking with Sean McAvoy, Senior Vice President of Energy Solutions at Veritone, about the role of intelligent germs in the clean energy transition and how AI or artificial intelligence will help utilities deliver safe, reliable, affordable, and in some cases, greener energy to their customers. Welcome back, Sean. Hey, thanks, Megan. Nice to be here again. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this uh, topic in more detail. Awesome. Thrilled to have you on here again, because we know you are no stranger to Adventures in AI podcast. So, Sean, I think it's safe to say everyone agrees that energy is a necessity. The world needs energy to support everyday life and, of course, drive human and economic development. As I understand, and I'm no subject matter expert, hence why you're here, this electricity is being produced by a range of energy sources, mostly fossil fuels, but as also nuclear power and renewables such as solar, hydro, and wind. Energy production and use are the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions around the world. So as greenhouse gases are driving force behind climate change, countries worldwide are actively working on a clean energy transition by changing how energy is produced. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but the Clean energy transition means shifting energy production away from sources that release a lot of greenhouse gases, such as fossil fuels, to those that release little to no greenhouse gases. And some of these clean sources are, again, like I mentioned, nuclear power, hydro, wind, and solar. So the direction of the global transition to clean energy was agreed in the Paris Agreement, which is an international deal between more than 180 countries that are part of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, otherwise known as the UNFCCC. So the agreement's central aim is to limit the increase in global average temperatures to well below two degrees Celsius relative to pre-industrial levels by encouraging the use of low carbon energy sources to reduce these greenhouse gas emissions. And according to the International Energy Agency, or the IEA, with around two-thirds of the world's electricity still coming from burning fossil fuels, reaching these climate goals by 2050 will require at least 80% of electricity to be shifted to low-carbon sources. So with all this being said, and I know that was a lengthy introduction into this topic, but I wanted to set it up for you so that you can talk about the U.S. energy market yesterday versus today. Sure. And um, thanks for that intro. And so like shifting 80% of electricity, you know, to low carbon sources, that is no mean feat. And today, the utility industry, the grids are going through a massive transition of trying to, you know, close down coal plants uh, and move more to uh, renewable green energy. And the problem with that is there's a number of issues that they're facing. Uh, You know, one is 
historically we've had like just centralized power gen generation which is you know you have a coal plant you can flip a switch and you know you get energy like going directly to the city that you're trying to provide it to um and the difference between a coal plant and green energy is green energy is distributed everywhere and it could be across like various places and trying to make its way to the city and you get lots of complexity around that you'll have tons of data that you now need to manage um, data that is coming from solar and wind and hydro nuclear um, even like battery storage so that's a massive difference is it has gone up in complexity in terms of how we manage our grids because there's it's now not just single source energy it is multiple sources of energy coming into a legacy grid infrastructure that was once centralized but is now decentralized so you can get things like congestion and you can get like curtailment um of, of energy happening and then there's also people like you and me who can be prosumer prosumers in that we have solar panels on our roof we may have a for example a tesla battery in our garage and we may be giving energy back into the grid so instead of one-way power hitting the grid you now have two-way power there's like energy that i am taking from the grid and energy i'm giving back from the grid again it adds more to the complexity um, and again it needs there's lots more um, generating assets such as solar on residential, on commercial, on industrial buildings, um, on communities, on ca campuses that are using the energy for themselves, but also helping to improve grid re resiliency by giving it um, back. And, you know, this energy, like green energy, it's not like coal produced energy, which, you know, is very reliable. You, as I said, you flip the switch, the coal starts burning and you start get, getting energy. Green energy needs to rely on the elements like the sun to generate solar, wind to move those to turbines, you know, water, rain to get the hydro going. And so the intermittency of it and the variability of it plays havoc with the grid because grid operators and utilities they're always trying to solve for one thing first and that is grid reliability which is matching the demand with this uh, supply of energy and it has to be a hundred percent if it's not a hundred percent we're going to get rolling blackouts mm -hmm. and that's something that everyone needs to avoid so problems around how do you make these renewables more predictable and how can you help guarantee more of a constant flow of energy coming from our renewables? These are like some of the um, challenges, especially when you're trying to plan capacity for tomorrow and the grid like trying to predict how much is the grid going to need tomorrow? And then how much am I going to get from my renewables? How much am I going to get from my fossil fuels? Does that match like 100%? That is a very complex problem for the utilities to solve today. And then you have government mandates on top of that, which are allowing then independent energy producers to be able to trade energy on the wholesale markets so now the utilities you know are not are not themselves just generating energy but you have independent operators also generating energy and selling that energy in the market that they can avail of so again arbitrage the buying and selling of energy is uh it's super complex and just like a lot more data a lot more activity a lot more decisioning that needs to uh, be made
Okay. And you mentioned a little bit about utilities. So the utilities mission is to deliver the safe, reliable, affordable, and like I'd said before, in some cases, greener energy to their customers. With that being said, what are the top priorities for utilities? So first and foremost, and it's the top priority, and it's been the same priority for like 20, 30, 40 years, you know, maybe more is reliability is mm-hmm. being able to produce what the consumer actually needs um, and prevent like, you know, blackouts, for example. But outside of that, you're now they're now having to deal with a number of other priorities. Number one, which is grid resilience. So if something, an event happens that impacts the grid, how fast can they respond to that? How can they get back to normal? Like examples of this is like we've seen in um, Texas this year, like earlier this year, probably yeah. in February timeframe where it got super cold and the wind turbines like froze up um, and there was n- no available capacity markets to actually buy um, energy from in te- Texas. So a lot of their grids went down. Um, we saw in California in the summer, like extreme heat, um, especially like last year. And we had rolling blackouts across um, California, also climate change, like and we had wildfires, which also brought down part of the grid. We had cybersecurity attacks on the colonial uh, pipeline on the East Coast. So grid resiliency is a major uh, priority for um, the utilities and the grid um, operators. And it's a tough one to um, actually solve based on the legacy grid um, infrastructure. Um, And then there's like, you know, how can you, you can enhance like this or resiliency with distributed energy resources. So A, you're not confined to like one or two types of energy generation. If you have multiple types of energy generation, it definitely um, reduces like your overall um, risk. And especially if you have your grid broken down into modular grids. So, for example, in Texas, instead of having like one big grid that got fully impacted by, you know, the wind turbines freezing up, if that grid was broken down into mini grids like modular microgrids and you had uh, renewable energy resources um, attached to each of them, you can then kind of uh, desynchronize like one part of the grid where the bad event is happening and not impact uh, the rest of the grid. And the same with the colonial pipeline as well. If that kind of pipeline was um, decentralized, um, you could have kept like the flow of uh, of energy going instead of everything being stopped um, all at once. Second kind of like, you know, main priority outside of, you know, resiliency and the kind of reliability is like they have a need to reduce carbon footprint. They are the utilities are the biggest generation of energy. And as you said in your opening, you know, from the fossil fuel, it produces greenhouse gases. They want to move uh, away from that. Everybody today is very conscious of climate change and the impact that um, the climate is having on our um, everyday lives, either with extreme heat or extreme cold or extreme flooding. Um, And so reducing your carbon footprint is not just like a a government mandate, but also you have industries, private industries such as Apple, Google, Amazon, etc., trying to reduce their own carbon footprint. They all have like you know either 2030 or 2040 uh, goals um, to actually get get there. And so you know reducing carbon footprint is one of the major issues, and they can do that by re- by moving to green um, energy. But again, green energy 
brings with it its own complexity. So there's a trade-off between moving to green, which is kind of more complex, but at the same time, it's cheaper. And at the same time, you can get a lot of decarbonization be benefits from it. Mm -hmm. And then there's like us consumers, we're always looking for better costs in terms of um, energy. We don't want to see, you know, um, our electricity bill kind of going up like every single month or every year. <clears throat> but at the same time, we have this ever-increasing demand for um, energy. It is just uh, increasing every single year. And you can see right now, like some of the drivers in, of the demand in energy comes from electric cars. We're introducing more and more electric cars um, into our environment. They need like more energy. We're also introducing lots of new IoT devices into our homes. We now have smart cities, smart homes, smart cars. Everything is now um, needing more and more um, energy. So how can you supply all of that new energy while at the same time trying to keep, keep costs down? And our yeah. infrastructure also needs modernization as well, because you have energy coming from all different sources, not just one way, but two way uh, energy. And with the infrastructure we have, if you don't have intelligence um, around it, you're going to get a lot of congestion and congestion leads to energy curtailment and, and energy dumping. And that's what you need kind of utilize uh, AI to do. And also, you know, the world itself, not just in the US, but in places like Australia and places like the UK, they're moving to more of a transactive energy market where you will have more options of where to buy your energy from and also what type of energy you're buying, traditional energy or green, green energy. So that the markets around energy buy and sell and wholesale markets as well as retail markets is now getting kind of, you know, more co complex, but there is that clear view on we need to reduce the overall costs of this um, operation as it gets, you know, more complexity put into it. Mm -hmm. And so this is when or where DERMs or distributed energy resource management systems come into play. Can you please explain what DERMs are and give examples of it? Yeah, so distributed energy resource management system, you know, is it's a software platform. That's basically what it is today. And, you know, it is typically um, deployed at sites where there are multiple energy resources. So you could have very large, you know, solar farms, you could have solar farms coupled with, you know, hydro adding wind, adding battery, and traditional gen sets as well, such as maybe like gas or diesel um, turbines. And so when you have like this um, diverse and dispersed amount of DERs, you need a management system, an energy management system to help manage all of that, to coordinate it, to schedule it, um, to be able to run analytics on it, to be able to run optimization on it, to get more efficiency out of it, and efficiency breeds um, uh, cheaper costs, which is one of the key priorities for the utilities. Mm -hmm. You also want to be able to add control. So a derm system can actually control the assets on the grid, things like control battery storage, control solar, 
um, control inverters, control wind turbines. And if you can like um, control them, then you can synchronize them and you can optimize them. So you can do things like optimal economic dispatch, taking your cheaper generating sources first, or you may want to prioritize, I want my green energy sources to be delivered first um, to the grid. So again, like adding like an intelligent derm system, um, you can really help to increase reliability you can help to also reduce uh, operation costs and you can help to improve resiliency um, as well. And even for people like, you know, not just grid operators, but people like, you know, you and me, it allows us to participate in consumer demand response programs, whereby mm -hmm. if the grid gets stressed out and it becomes under pressure, that we can get compensated for reducing energy within our uh, own homes. Mm. And that's like a form of kind of like, you know, market participation at the consumer level, um, where we can get more money in our pockets for helping to uh, make the uh, grid more uh, resilient. And again, like, you know, it also ensures that, you know, our overall system becomes more uh, reliable. And part of that reliability is um, is driven from the autonomous decisioning that comes from a derm system, like a derm system will be managing um, and ingesting tons of data. It's just like across, if you can imagine, like energy routing across the grid from many different um, devices. How do you manage all of that um, data? And what you need is more automation. You need intelligence. And in some cases, you actually need auto decisioning, especially where decisions have to be made in milliseconds. When you have multiple decisions that have to be made in milliseconds, it is too hard for a human to actually do that. But with mm -hmm. artificial intelligence, you can do that relatively um, easy. And so in examples, like say use case examples of um, a derm system or an intelligent derm system is number one is prediction. To be able to predict when events are going to happen, be able to predict um, what your demand is going to be tomorrow and the next day in terms of energy needs, be able to predict how much you're going to be able to generate from these intermittent renewable energy uh, devices, being able to predict what the prices are going to be on the market. So you can either buy or sell at the optimal price um, for you. And then even at the grid level, like the assets on the grid, such as battery storage and inverters, be able to predict what is their remaining useful life. Because you always want to be looking at your physical devices on the grid to see, are they going to be working tomorrow? If they don't work tomorrow, that's going to impact uh, the actual grid. So being able to model out physical devices on the grid, being able to predict their remaining use for life is also key to um, reliability and also to keeping your cost down. Okay. Another example is if you're able to predict your renewable energy, like with high levels of accuracy, you're talking like down to like 1% 1, 1 deviation between your uh, predicted and your actual, you as a grid operator, you can then reduce your spinning reserves. So a lot of grid operators will have spinning reserves, which are like diesel turbines going constantly in the background in case there's like massive cloud cover comes in over like a solar farm and it reduces like the amount of energy it just drops really quick if it drops really quick then you're like oh my god how am i going to like continue to supply energy to the actual grid and you do that by having your spinning reserves which are costly and are fossil fuel based in the background to be able to fill in those gaps but if i'm able to with ai being able to accurately predict how much green energy is going to be produced then i can manage my 
um, spinning reserves um, better and be more efficient about it. Which like, if you have less amount of spinning reserves, you're going to reduce your fuel costs. And then you'll also be able to, you know, reduce the amount of uh, carbon being um, emitted. And we can also like, when we're controlling um, the physical assets um, on the grid, we're also improving their longevity. And so what we do is we would build a digital twin of all the physical assets on the grid. We will build like a model of that, you know, physical asset. Then we will apply rules to it in terms of uh, being able to take into account NERC FERC rules. Um, we would take in warranty rules of the device and even like soft rules like economic uh, policy to better improve that longevity. Something like super simple, for example, would be um, being able to control the bridge temperature in an inverter such that it doesn't burn out or doesn't degrade in performance. And we do that by having predictive controllers on the grid, using forecasts of how much energy is going to be produced, sending those predictions to the actual physical devices on the grid, such that um, we're alerting them and informing them ahead of time, here's how much energy you're going to be hit with, therefore try to ramp up at a uh, much slower and even rate so your bridge temperature doesn't burn out. And we see people like for in terms of like batteries, we see independent power producers like value stacking on batteries, which means um, they're using their battery storage for multiple um, multiple opportunities for them to make money. So they could have a ditch a dispatch commitment to one utility to, um, today, but then like once that dispatch is complete, they're then going to like use the rest of the energy in the battery to actually play on another utility to do fr frequency support. So the optimization of batteries, for an example, um, is a use case that we're seeing more and more often, but it's a complex use case. And you need to be able to model that battery, you need to be able to predict what the demand is, predict prices, and then to be able to like optimize the battery to um, get the optimal price for you and make the optimal decision whether you're going to dispatch to your daily commitment or you're going to actually play on another market for frequency um, support. So there are kind of like some of the examples of what like an intelligent like derm system um, can actually do, which is a bit different from the traditional derm systems where there was no intelligence involved. It was more of an if, what, then type scenario where we're doing dynamic reasoning, dynamic inferencing, and automated decisioning right on, on the grid. Okay, awesome. And and I know you keep mentioning Intelligent Derm's solution, and, and that's actually was my next question is so diving deeper into that. Can you provide more examples and, and let our audience know how artificial intelligence makes the traditional Derm system an actual Intelligent Derm's solution? Sure. I mean, one of the key things um, is that traditional Derm systems start to slow down um, as more and more data is put through the actual system. When you have to crunch, you know, not just like today's data, but last month, six months ago, being able to crunch all that data, provide like uh, better visualizations, better analytics to um, the grid operators, those traditional derm systems tend to like, you know, uh, degrade in uh, their actual performance like uh, over time. Mm -hmm. 
where, for example, on an artificial intelligence, we are doing machine learning, we are doing adaptation learning, reinforcement learning, and we're doing this in real time. So we are developing models. These models are distributed, so they're non-centralized. It's a distributed model type of uh, an approach. We also do inferencing at the edge. So instead of having having a big neural net centralized type um, data repository where you know every query is going through massive amounts of data, we're doing our inferencing or decision making right locally at the edge. That is particular and specific to that device that is controlling the actual energy. So everything is localized, everything is contained, the AI is distributed lo locally, um, and it can do its um, decisioning like in real time. We're talking like milliseconds in terms of uh, uh, how long it takes uh, to make uh, a decision. And this is something that the you know utilities are, are grappling with right now. It's just the vast amounts of data from all of these new uh, devices that are on the grid, but also devices that are in people's homes and they're sending, you know, consuming energy, they're sending signals out all the time. How do you process all of that energy and make the right decision, you know, at the right time? And as I said, like earlier, we do this by building like digital twins of each of the physical devices such that, you know, we can see this device running, but in a digital environment in real time, and then we can respond to that. Um, and we respond to it dynamically based on the conditions that, that are happening. So if demand for energy increases like super fast, then we can respond to it like really quick because we're actually predicting out what is going to happen. And because our artificial intelligence um, uses adaptation and reinforcement learning, our models get smarter over time. It's not just you answer the same query or the same request at the same time uh, for each event. No, we could answer it like differently because we just got smarter from what happened in the last five minutes, last 10 minutes, last like, you know, hour, and we're feeding into it like real-time data and processing that real-time that real data to give the optimal decision at that um, specific time. And some of these decisions are around like dispatch and flow control. How much do I di dispatch at any one time? Where do I dispatch from? Is it going to be green energy, fossil fuel? Could be the mix of, of both of them. Where is it going to go to? It's going to go to a substation at some city, but how is it going to get there? What is the optimal flow path of the energy to get there such that we avoid curtailment, we avoid congestion on the grid? And again, AI is modeling all of the grid. If you think of the grid as like a highway in terms of tra transmission lines and how the energy flows along that transmission highway, like, you know, today ourselves, if we're driving to work, you know, you're going to hit con congestion. But if we're using AI to model the grid, you can avoid congested areas and route that energy such that it doesn't get curtailed or doesn't get blocked or, or dumped and it reaches where it's supposed to go um, on time. And that means like, you know, what resources do we need? How much of it do we need? Um, where's the location of these resources such that it's going to have the maximum impact on the actual consumers that are actually needing it? And again, AI, with AI, we can build a model of the actual um, demand and we can predict out that demand. Um, other things is like, you know, deving, kind of getting like a bit deeper in this is like, you also need to be able to synchronize a lot of your devices on the grid. So 
each device will know the state of another device um, on the grid such that if there is an extreme event, an extreme event could mean like a hurricane, it could mean like an earthquake, that you will desynchronize some parts of the grid into its own modular microgrid and let that be able to continue to keep going and producing energy, especially you would have a microgrid around critical services like hospital, kind of like your fire, your police, um, those types of services that you want to continue to have energy for. And AI can like make a model of all of this. And in, in the case of an extreme event, it can just start flowing energy to those areas that need it the most. And, you know, again, a lot of our models, pretty much all of them will use adaptation and reinforcement learning such that we're going to get smarter over time. So every action, every encounter that we have with with the grid, we're learning from that and our decisioning gets better. That's incredible. I love AI and I'm not saying that because I just (laughs) work for an AI (laughs) based company, but uh, this just, this stuff blows my mind really. And uh, there's still so much more for me to learn about it. So I'm, I'm really grateful that you're here talking with us about this. More along that same vein of AI, can you share with us what are some AI-driven use cases and benefits? Yeah. So we have you know, various types of customers that come to us with their own unique and individual uh, use cases. Um, we and I'll just talk to some of them without mentioning uh, without mentioning names of mm-hmm. customers as we're under NDAs with a lot of them. But you know, for example, we have one company who sees the opportunity of being able to trade energy on the wholesale markets. There's about eight different wholesale markets uh, in the U.S. They're called like ISOs, and in California, for example, where we're based, it's called CAISO, the California like ISO uh, market. Mm-hmm. And what we see today is that Customers that are buying large batteries, you know, you're talking like 10 megawatt batteries, or even it could be like a five megawatt uh, battery. And what they're doing is they're looking for opportunities to a charge that battery at the lowest price. So they're looking at the uh, the Kaiso market, the wholesale market, to see. <laughs> When is the best time during the day that I'm going to be able to charge my battery? And then when is the best time uh, for me to actually discharge that battery when the prices are the highest hmm. and uh, on, on the wholesale market? So we do a lot of uh, forecasting. We do a lot of uh, prediction for these types of cu- customers. And then we will actually control the battery to do the actual dispatch into the wholesale market at the right right time and so again this cycle repeats itself over and over um the the grid has the benefit in terms of more people are selling into the market and then the actual consumer is benefiting because they're making they're making profits on the uh difference between what they bought the energy for and what they sold sold the energy for this is uh, this is called like arbitrage energy um arbitrage um we have another customer, for example, who very innovative is doing energy as a service, which is you know a new concept in today's like energy market. And how they're doing this is they are they have contracts with multiple um, electric car companies to get their um, uh, reused batteries, and they're stacking these reused batteries until they get you know probably like a megawatt like in size. And then they're like ma- making these available um, to people in like a big cont- 
container and they're providing like energy as a service like that you will only get how much you need they deliver these containers how they charge these containers is similar to the previous that they will charge it from the grid at the lowest price and then they will be able to sell it to a customer on an as needs basis when a customer needs it and you can think of a customer as like it could be a large hospital it could be a manufacturing site it could be a big office building that knows that you know at at like nine o'clock in the morning when everybody comes into work, my um, my electricity uh, consumption is going to uh, is going to go up, and that's when I need to get a boost in in energy, and I'm going to use energy as a service. Um, so that's one another one. Um, you also have uh, people who are <clears throat> doing um, value stacking that want to be able to use the combination of solar and their battery storage to provide different services to different people. And how do you optimize against that? Um, you have the big utilities who are trying to reduce spinning reserves, reduce their fuel costs, and also reduce, uh, reduce their carbon footprint. Um, at the same time, they want predictability around their renewable energy so that they know how much they're going to get like in the next 24 hours so they can better plan ahead and make sure that they hit that reliability uh, marker um, and also be able to reduce like any carbon emissions so if they're going to have an abundance of energy they don't need to be um, you know firing up the coal coal plant and that way they can kind of like get their carbon cred credits and then there's also like you have people who are very concerned about the longevity of the assets that they have on the grid, such as inverters and batteries, which cost a huge amount of, of money. Like, you know, mm -hmm. inverters are hundreds of thousands in cost, and they don't want them burning out because they're getting intermittent spikes of uh, energy hitting them from um, the solar. So there's a lot of use cases that, that people can use an iDerm solution for um, and you know iDerms with its artificial intelligence can help better manage um, efficiencies. Wow, love it. Thank you for sharing that. And no. overall though, this the, the role of intelligent derms in the clean energy transition, like I said, is just fascinating to me. And I just learned a whole lot more than I ever knew. Uh, now in summary, can you recap what we've talked about today? Sure, and we've mentioned a lot, so I'll try and keep this one <laughs> brief and uh, and touch on the on the high points. But okay. you know, our iDerm solution is central to the smart grid design of today. As we expand our infrastructure, we expand on our national grids in the, in the U.S. We have to take into account that it is decentralized. It is very distributed. We have two-way power. And what an iDerm solution is, it helps reduce the amount of complexity when you are designing and managing um, a smart grid. It can also like enhance reliability and resiliency. You know, from a reliability perspective, we are through AI, we are providing predictions in terms of how much of green energy you are going to, going to have tomorrow. In, in terms of resiliency, we are able to decentralize the grid, provide modular microgrids, be able to manage the flow of energy to these uh, microgrids such that we can continue to have the critical services that we need in times of extreme events, and then being able to resynchronize those modular microgrids back to um, the main grid. And we do all this by doing decisioning in real time, in milliseconds. And that's because we have a decentralized architecture in our iDerms um, solution. 
And IDARMS as well is also critical to the decarbonization programs that we have throughout the US, especially when we can help all the grid operators reduce the amount of fossil fuel spinning reserves that they have trying to cover the intermittency in solar. Our predictability helps to just reduce that amount of fossil fuel, thus it helps reduce the amount of car carbon uh, emissions. And we're able to like, you know, integrate both, you know, the intermittent and the predictable renewable energy sources um, like solar and even the fossil fuel type resources. Like we are not like our AI is not like specific to, um, you know, for, uh, green energy. We can take into account uh, hybrids such as, you know, gas turbines and diesel turbines, they all fit into our iDerm solution. And so, yes, I mean, getting back to where we spoke about the transition um, and the modernization of the grid and that transition that the utilities are going to from fossil fuels to green energy, this is where an intelligent derm solution can help play the best. Awesome. Thank you again so much. I'm really grateful for having you on and, and for sharing your time to provide us with this great information about energy and derms and iDerms and how AI will help utilities deliver that safe, reliable, affordable, and greener energy to, to their customers. Thank you to everyone out there for listening to Adventures in AI, the podcast that dives into the many ways artificial intelligence is shaping the future for the better. We'll talk with you next time.